I should have just let him preach tonight. That was really good. So uh, listen, if you're new uh, to us tonight, if you haven't heard, we've been going through this series. We started last week, so you are fresh on what we're doing. So talking about yesterday, today, and forever, that is kind of our theme for the whole entire semester. So 11 weeks to get you all throughout the semester. And so uh, the, the goal of this is based off Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is encouraging news. I don't know if you realize that tonight or not, but that is encouraging news for me and you both because uh, we don't deserve it, but he never changes, right? And so uh, we started out last week start, uh, talking about uh, Noah and the Ark, right? So this story that we have all probably heard about, right? The story of the flood coming, what does it look like? What does that mean for us? And so really the, the whole idea of last week was uh, God was looking for a righteous person, right? God is calling us to be righteous, and so therefore he saved that family from the flood. And so how does that relate to our lives? Well, he is calling us to be righteous as well. And so what we are doing is we are picking one story per week of the Old Testament. Maybe it's, you grew up in the church and you uh, heard these stories growing up, right? These little, these little Bible stories or these Sunday school stories, whatever. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like as you heard these stories as a kid, we're relating them to Hebrews 13 8 and saying, all right, how, if that is true, what does it look like in my life that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Because I need to know. Like I face temptation. I face all these different things that are coming against me. I need to know what it looks like for Jesus to show up in my life the same way he showed up in Noah's life, right? Same way that he showed up in the Tower of Babel. So tonight, that's where we're going to land. Uh, Sean laid it out perfectly. Genesis 11. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me there. Genesis 11. Maybe you have a copy of God's Word. Maybe it's on your cell phone. I encourage you to get that out. It's going to be on the screen as well. And so as you're turning to Genesis 11, you know that this is going in order. So we were just a couple chapters behind this last week in Noah. So we're, we're literally just kind of taking one story after the other. But as you turn there, there's going to be a few things that I want you to take note of tonight, specifically with how God views your sin, right? So we know the Tower of Babel is like Sean laid out for us perfectly tonight. Like the whole point of this was sin. It was rebellion against God. It was people trying to knock God off of his throne, right? This is basically what we see at the Tower of Babel. And so for tonight, you're like, man, I don't, I don't fit into that category. And it's amazing if you go into these stories and you're like, Lord, please teach me something. Teach me something maybe that I don't know about. Teach me something maybe I've never seen before. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will teach you. So tonight, there's going to be a few different things that we're going to look at when it comes to God and your sin specifically. And my prayer uh, is that many of you would come to this realization, this point in your life, to where you're like, man, tonight, I've always thought that God has left me because of what I've done I've always thought that God doesn't love me anymore because of the decisions I've made. I've always thought that God thought this way of me, and, and I hope that this word shatters all of your thoughts about who God is tonight. I hope that we can start on a clean slate tonight with who you know God is inside of your life, not, not who your feelings are telling you God is or your pleasures are telling you who God is. I, my prayer is that as we dive into this word tonight, and I promise you I'm about to get into it, but I cannot tell you how much I've prayed for this, and so maybe tonight God will just grab your heart as we talk about the Tower of Babel. That is my prayer tonight. So let's dive in. Genesis 11, we're going to be in verses 1 through 9. Be sure to take notes, uh, write stuff down, cheat off your neighbor. I heard last week people had trouble taking notes. I'm going to try not to talk as fast, but we don't have enough time, so we're going to cover a lot in a little bit of time. So you guys go ahead and maybe cheat off each other, take pictures, do whatever you need to do. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, 
they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for martyr. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down. This is where it gets ugly. The Lord comes down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I don't know about you, but just a side note before we get in, this just popped in my mind. Uh, until I actually started reading this and studying this, I never knew that's what the Tower of Babel meant. It's literally Babel. They couldn't understand each other. Anybody else in the same boat? Okay, no, okay, good. Okay, good. Well, that's just a bit of advice from me. Uh, I didn't realize that. So uh, literally, Tower of Babel, is they were babbling. Okay, so point number one, here it is. We all have a natural sin problem. As we dive into this tonight, let's start from the ground zero, from the basics. Number one, what do we see from the Tower of Babel? We all have a natural sin problem. Not just these people, but let's get personal tonight. Like you and me tonight, we have a sin problem. Verses one through four. As we kick off in this tonight, it kind of sets the stage as to what is happening, right? So it's telling us kind of what is happening. It's setting the stage and saying, hey, this is what is happening right now in the story. They had one language, one common speech. And as they moved east, even told you the direction they were moving in. As they moved eastward, what happened? They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So I, I need you to understand. It's interesting, whenever you dive into this and you see this, like, they picked the plain of Shinar. And if you, if you understand, you're like, all right, if you're going to build a tower and your goal is to reach heaven, wouldn't you at least start on a mountaintop and just avoid starting on a plane, but no. So that, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, dude, you know, you, you, I know your intentions, but that's stupid what you did. So they found a plane in Shinar, so literally flat land when there was tons of mountains, right? Flat land, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks. So they're having this conversation with each other. Let's bake them. Brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. So they're going through, and they're saying, come, let's build this tower. Let's, let's build this thing. Let's just not build it, but let's talk to each other, and let's say, let's build it a certain way, right? This was their natural sin problem. As it sets the stage for us tonight, this is what we need to take hold of, is that we all have this natural sin problem. It's not a thing that you get cleaned up before you go to Jesus. Like that, that's not even an issue here, right? This makes it very clear, every single one of us, whether you go astray, whether you choose to sin, whether it's one of those where, man, I just slipped into that, like whatever the situation, we all have a natural sin problem, right? So it's not one of those situations to where, as soon as I get my life cleaned up, I'm going to come to Jesus. According to scripture, we all have a sin problem that only Jesus can fix. I love how this one study Bible put it. They said the heart and the materials relevant to the Tower of Babel show that it was not only disobedient to God's command to fill the earth, Genesis 9-1, but it also shows man did not believe God's promise to never again flood the earth. So there's a two-fold answer going on here. So we see that the heart of what they're doing at the Tower of Babel, number one, it was not only disobedient to God's command to fill the earth. Genesis, flip back with me, Genesis 9, verse 1. 
Now, this follows what we talked about last week, right? So this is going off of chapter 7, chapter 8, going into verse 9. So Noah, they have landed like the waters have went down. Verse, chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah, so is bringing him up again, and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And so basically what is happening here is that these people are coming right after Noah and the flood, right? And so their natural tendency, their natural desire to sin and rebel against God, they have just understood there was a flood that wiped everybody out. And what do we see two chapters later? We see them trying to do the exact same thing again, right? It's this natural sin problem we have. that They understood what God had done. They understood why God did it. And here they are trying to... Do it again and disobey. So that's one answer. They were disobedient to fill the earth, God's command. Number two, it also shows that man did not believe God's promise to never again flood the earth. Right after God said, I'm going to send this rainbow, right? Like, I'm going I'm to let the waters go down. I'm never going to flood the earth again. All these promises, right? And these people come around two chapters later, and they make all these decisions that disobey the Lord and there's a twofold answer going on here. They didn't believe him and they didn't obey him. And it's right after the Lord had destroyed the whole earth for this exact reason. So here's what we see from this. Even when we have seen, this is scary too, even when we have seen God move, we still have a desire to do whatever our flesh wants. Now this, this gets pretty intense, right? Think about your life specifically. I'm sure we could all go around the room tonight. We could all kind of share stories of, man, this is when I've seen God move. This is whenever he moved in my life. Man, this is when he healed my parents. This is whenever he healed this relationship. This is whenever he brought joy in the midst of chaos. I'm sure we could all go across the room and say, man, I have seen God move, man. I have seen baptisms and salvations. Like, you name it, and we could all go around the room. But even though you have seen him move, do you understand Even though he is moving and he is active, you still have a desire to do what your flesh wants. And it's like we talked about last week, how it's combining together. You have to go to war with yourself. Even though you see God move, even though you hear of God moving, you get on social media, man, God's moving. I see this. Like, I felt this. I have understood this. Like, all these things are happening. God is moving. God is on the move. And yet, here we are with all these natural sin problems that we have. You got to understand, yes, God is who he is. Like we talked about last week, right? Even when we are faithless, he is what? He is faithful. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't depend on your good or bad actions. God is going to be who he is. But at the same time, you always have a desire to do whatever your flesh wants. So like we talked about last week, when's the last time? that you fought against, hey, man, my flesh wants this, but I know I don't need this. My flesh desires this, but I know it's not good for me, so I'm going to turn away from it. Romans 7, verses 15 through 20. If you're taking notes, it says this, and it's so relevant for us today. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Do you understand what the struggle is here? You're like, man, I can relate to that. 
I don't know what's happening here. I do what I don't want to do. I don't want to do what I do do. It's just like, oh my gosh. And but he's like, he's like, understand, it is your sin problem, right? It is like even when we're walking with Jesus, we still have this tendency to walk away from Jesus. Even whenever we're seeing this great movement of God, we still have a desire to do our own thing and rebel against God. That's because we live in a Genesis 3 world, a broken, sinful world. But Romans 7 kind of hits us with a reality check saying, understand the goodness of God, the goodness of Hebrews 13.8 doesn't depend on how good or bad you are. Like, yes, you are called to be holy. You're called to be righteous. But at the same time, understand, thank God, his actions toward us do not depend on how good we are, right? And he's saying, I've got grace for you, but I also call you to live a righteous life, just like we talked about last week. So here it is. Here's, here's the deal within all this. Walking with Jesus is more about fighting against yourself rather than bettering yourself. Our culture is so much on better yourself in this way, right? It is so much on focus, focus on yourself, and man, you will be just fine. Focus on your own mental health and you'll be just fine. Focus on your own life and you'll be just fine. Our culture is, we're surrounded by, man, I hear myself again, like it's about me again, it's about me again. That is not the Christian life. That is not what walking with Jesus is. It is more about fighting against yourself, right? And we live in this culture that says, man, I'm a believer, but at the same time, man, my life don't look anything like this book. And we think it's okay and it's not. It's what, it's what we studied with Noah last week, right? He was saying, God said, I'm going to choose you. Why? Because you're righteous. You're set apart. You're not perfect, but you're set apart. You're not, you're not perfect in all of your ways, but you keep pursuing me. And I see that, Noah, right? And so that's how God looks at us tonight. He knows when you're righteous. He also knows when you struggle. He also knows when you call on him. He also knows when you put forth the effort of doing more than just going to church on a Wednesday or, or a Sunday. Man, it's more about fighting against yourself. First Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith. So it uses this war term, right? Like fight, fight the good fight. In other words, fight the good fight against yourself, right? Not just of culture, not just of the people around you, but fight the good fight against yourself. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So First Timothy is agreeing with Romans 7 saying, as you walk this Christian life, as we look at the Tower of Babel, what is happening here? A natural sin problem. So what do we do? We fight the good fight against ourselves, against our flesh. And as we fight this good fight, the Lord is honored through that. As we fight this good fight and we turn away from sin, right? It's this word called repentance that we don't talk much about nowadays. You turn from your sins and you turn to Jesus. And he says, I will give you more than you could ever dream of, right? I, could, I can supply you with everything that you want, everything that you need, if you just surrender your life to me. And this is where we're led to takeaway number two. God has a desire to confront your sin problem. So number one, we all have a natural sin problem. We know that. That's ground zero. That's basics. Number two, God has a desire to confront your sin problem. God never sees sin and doesn't address it. That's not who God is. Verses five through seven. As we continue, it says this, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this and then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse our language so they will, they will not understand each other. Now, if, if you're just reading this, you're like, man, this is contradictory because 
The Bible says that nothing will be impossible for them, but also know the word of God says nothing is impossible for God. So how does that work? He is, he's talking specifically about the powerfulness of sin in this moment. He is saying if they are doing X, Y, Z because of their sin problem, man, the sky's the limit because sin doesn't, sin doesn't stop right? He's not saying that they are all powerful, nothing will be impossible. He, they're not on the level of, of who God is. But he is saying as they, as they live out their sin, as they pursue their sin, he's saying this is dangerous. If they can do this, imagine what else is on the map for them. Like sin doesn't stop. You give it one yard and it takes the rest of the football field. Like sin takes you way further than you ever wanted to go. But it reminds us of this very simple reminder that God is never okay with you living your life in ways that his word doesn't agree with. And you have to understand that all of you are surrounded by people in this culture, at your schools, in your jobs, in your family, in your relationships, that they don't really teach you this, right? It's not really pushed inside of your life. But you look at the word of God and you look at your life, you look at the Tower of Babel, and we see very clearly there's a God who gets upset at people when they sin. Very clearly, there is a God who says, I am not happy when you choose to rebel against me. I am not happy when you choose to do this and choose to do that. Why? Because it goes against his character. Just look at how this is spelled out inside of scripture. Let's go from one verse to the other. Verse five, the Lord came down to personally visit. That's, that's red flag number one. If the Lord comes down to personally visit you, something's gonna happen. Verse six, the Lord, he speaks about it. He uses words and he addresses it. Verse seven, all three persons of the Trinity visit in this moment. Just look at this. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. So the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're involved in this movement, right, of people who are rebelling against them. People who are rebelling against what they have said inside of the word. People who have rebelled against what they have said during Noah and, and the flood, right? Noah and the ark. So we see these things happen in verse 5, 6, and 7. This is God taking action against sin. And for us to do whatever we want, right, in our lives, in our sororities, in our sports, for us to do whatever we want and think God is okay with it, that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says if you live against this word, that does not make me happy. And if he visited them in their sin, if he visited them and he spoke about it, and all three, the whole trinity went and they visited in this moment, don't you think that's still a big deal for us even today? But I want to make something very clear. The Lord, he's not trying to put restrictions on you just because he can. There's this big misconception Whatever he confronts or disagrees with inside of your life, like it's always for your good and for his glory. So many people are like, man, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not ready to give up my life. I'm, I'm not willing to give up what I'm used to. I'm not willing to give up all the things like I, I just, I can't afford to follow Jesus right now. I've heard that so many times. And I'm like, do you understand the God of the Bible? Like he's, he's not trying to say, if you follow me, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. It's really in our minds, once we understand who God is, what he has done, and saying, all right, when I surrender my life, what will happen is not a bunch of restrictions, it's not a bunch of rules and regulations, and oh my gosh, I've got to obey him again today. It is finally us seeing why we were created. You know, the moment you start pursuing and choosing your creator, that's when you start filling life to the abundant. The moment that you start agreeing with your creator instead of 
the created people around you or the culture around you, the moment that you say, God, I'm gonna go all in with you, that is the moment that the God that knits you together, he reminds you, listen, this is why you were created. You're not gonna miss those things. You're not gonna say, man, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. No, it's not about restrictions. It's about, do you wanna live to the fullest in this life? Then the Tower of Babel says, give up your life and follow Jesus. Verse six, it reminds us, the Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. The powerfulness of sin, have you ever thought, right? And and I don't think many of us have, and that's our problem with sin these days, is that we sin and we don't think twice about how powerful our sin is. Now, we know that it gives us pleasures. We know that it gives us great things for the moment. We know that it gives us things that, man, we we really enjoyed that, right? We, We know that those things happen with sin. But have you ever thought about the magnitude of your sin against your own self? As you make these decisions, as these people in the Tower of Babel, as they were making these decisions, do you understand those decisions, even though they wanted that and their flesh pursued that, that wasn't the best for them? Only whenever they pursued the Lord was it the best for them. Think about how one guy said it. He said, the potential of fallen man is terrible and powerful. When we think of the horrific accomplishments of evil for men in the 20th century, The great ability of men and nations is a painful consideration. So this quote is saying, do you understand the terrible and the powerfulness of your own sin? Whenever you choose to live out in sin, even if it's a small thing or a big, whatever the situation, he is saying, understand, think about how powerful your sin is. Think about, God is not only working, right? Like we talked about earlier, God is on the move, God is working, we could all have our stories. Satan is also working, and that's what we also push to the side a lot of times, is that Satan, he is working, he is here, and he is the little G God of this world in this moment. And so as you think of the fallen man and the terribleness of your own sin, that will bring you back to reality. Leads us to point number three. God has a natural urgency to interrupt your sin problem. There's this urgency that God has to interrupt you. So he doesn't just confront your sin problem. We see he speaks about it. He comes down. They all visit all in one. He has a natural urgency to interrupt your sin problem. Verses 8 and 9. So the Lord, he did what? Now, this is when all the actions were taking place. He scattered them from there over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So this was, this was further than God speaking it. It was further than God visiting it. He goes into action. And he says, I'm done with this, right? Like he interrupts their sin. Many people think, no, God would never, God would never come face to face. with them. God, if God saw my sin, it would not be good. You have a wrong view of God. God knows. God's omniscient, omnipotent. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is sovereign. You're the one that's catching up with your sin problem, not God. And so as you sin, there's this interruption that the Lord wants to have inside of your life. So the Lord, he will, mark it down, he will visit you in the midst of your sin. 
Every single one of us. The only question is, will you choose to love Jesus more or your sin more? So as the Lord interrupts you, and, and as you think back on your life, you're like, man, I, I don't think he's ever interrupted me. As you think back on your life, it's interesting to see what the Lord does inside of your life to kind of interrupt you from your own sin, like things that he causes to happen and things that he causes to do. So maybe think about that inside of your life. Like, have I ever been interrupted by God inside of my sin? I know that he will visit me, but as he visits me, as he interrupts my sin, what did I choose to do with Jesus in that moment? Did I choose to leave that sin behind and turn away from that sin? Or did I choose to love my sin more? Because you can't love both. Which one are you going to choose to love? The Tower of Babel, we see this very clearly verse 8. And they stopped building the city. Like, mark that down. The Lord took action. He interrupted the sin problem. And they stopped building the city. The Lord interrupted, he saw it face to face. He visited, he spoke to it. And what did they do? They stopped building the city. They, they, they chose to stop, they chose to finally obey who God is. So just look at who God is based on this scripture. What we know about God based off the Tower of Babel. Number one, he sees your sin. Don't, don't think that God is a God who just kind of lets you do whatever and he's scared to know what you do. He sees your sin. He approaches your sin. Like, he's not scared to approach something he has defeated. He speaks to your sin, right? And so, so there's this moment that he goes, and he's like salvation, for example. He says, in order for people to hear about me, they must hear it. You must say it. There's power in speaking to your sin, just like you need to speak to your sin. He interrupts your sin, and he also gives you something better to live for. So what he is doing, this is the great exchange. He is taking what you have done. He is taking all the thoughts that you've had. He is taking and interrupting everything about your sin problem, and he is giving you what is better for you. You're like, yeah, I still don't want that. What would you choose over God himself? Why would you choose anything over the Lord himself giving you something better to live for? We're going to end on this quote. It says, now God will begin to make man better. And he will start as he always starts, with a man who will do his will, even if he does not do his will perfectly. Man, we're going to cover this so much this semester. It is not about being perfect. The Lord knows you will never be perfect when you're here on this planet, right? He knows that you will never have everything together. You will never be perfect until... As you walk with Jesus, you then cross into eternity with Jesus. Being holy as Jesus is holy is a, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You walk with him. God doesn't choose, choose perfect people because there are none. But as you walk with him, understand this is how God starts, with someone who is willing to do his will. He's not asking you to have everything cleaned up. He's not asking you to come to him with a clean slate. He does that. He's the one that does that if you didn't know that, right? And so as you want to be used by God, ask yourself this question, am I, doing his, am I willing to do his will? In, in the midst of all my imperfections, in the midst of my sin problem, am I, is my goal to do his will? Is my goal to walk with him? Not perfectly, but is my goal to be holy in the midst of a culture that is not holy? Is my goal to be righteous in a culture that is not righteous? What is your goal? Like, what is your aim inside of life? To just simply go through the motions? God isn't interested in that. So as you walk with him, he says, 
Be willing to do his will. Be willing to simply be used by him. He doesn't choose not to use you. You're the one that says, God, I don't want you to use me. And that's a powerful statement with a God that's done all he has to get to you. If you say, God, man, listen, because of my sin, God, I, I, I don't choose you. I can't choose you. That's pretty bold. God is saying, I'm willing to use you if you'll simply be willing to do my will. Be willing to not be perfect, but be willing to say, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I'm going to do. And so during this time, during this invitation time, I want you to go and close your Bible. And I want you to be real with yourself tonight. Just like last week, man, many of you, gosh, man, many of you are so real with yourselves. As we dive into this, how, how the Lord, he never changes. I, I, I want you to ask yourself, what does, what does my life look like? I know I'm going to have a sin problem. I know it. I know I'm going to have a sin problem. I don't care how big or how small it is. We're going to have a sin problem. But am I willing to be used by God? Am I willing to give my sin up to look for something so much better? For those of you who are Christians and not even Christians, you're like, I don't know how I got here tonight. A friend just brought me. Said they'd give me ice cream afterwards, so I came. Like, that's great. Glad you're here. But think about inside of your life, why, why have you not chosen Jesus? Why, if we look and if we believe this story is true, if we believe this is the unchanging word of God, if we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then why have you not taken him up on his word? Why? If you want to be real tonight, you're real with your sin. You're real with, real with your rebellion. You're real with how you don't go all out for Jesus. Then why aren't you real when he says, it's up to you. It's up to you. I have everything that you've ever wanted or ever needed. So during this time, as this band leads us, I I just want to pray over you. I want to pray for boldness. I want to pray for sincerity, genuine hearts. And I pray that the Lord has broken many of your hearts. So let's let's just pray together. God, we we come before you tonight. And God, we, we thank you, first of all, for your word. God, we thank you for how you are unchanging. God, you cannot change. That is against your character. And God, we have that promise and that hope. And so, God, we pray along those lines tonight. God, we are praying to a God who doesn't change. We're praying to a God who still does not like sin. We are praying to a God who still calls us to be holy, still calls us to be righteous. And, God, we're going to make that stand tonight. I I pray for the ones in in this crowd tonight, God, that you would give them boldness to step out and to, and to claim who you are. God, to leave whatever the enemy's been dragging them along with this whole time. Leave it behind. Father, I, I pray that you give them boldness. Give them a genuine heart to change. God, help us not go through these college years and at work and in our relationships, God, living unholy lives. God, help us not waste our lives based off pleasures. God, by your spirit, you're the only one that can draw people to salvation. And so, God, we call on you tonight. As If your spirit don't draw them, then, God, they're not going to be saved. So, God, I pray over this whole entire group. God, I pray for boldness. I pray for Christians to step up and to get real with you. I pray for the lost, God, to turn their life to you. God, I pray for repentance and broken hearts. And that, God, we wouldn't just read the Tower of Babel and say, wow, cool story. But God, we would see ourselves and we would see our sin and we would see the seriousness 
God, of what we do to you. God, break hearts. Lord, draw them to you tonight. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.